Hello and welcome to the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, analysis, all passion, all derby. Some decisions are black and white. Let's get stuck in. Hello everybody and welcome to yet another uh, episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Obviously the fixtures are coming thick and fast and so are the podcast reviews and today I am glad to say that we are joined by Omar and uh, he is from the, the Millwall fan blog and the Millwall pod. Omar, how are we? Not too bad, thank you. Thanks for the introduction. Doing very well. How are you guys? Yeah, or, or well... Mm-mm. I'm sure we'll get I'm sure we'll get on to that, but um, yeah, we're all right. In, in person, we're okay. In footballing terms, not so much. Um, but it's great. It's great to have you here, Omar. And of course, as we say, um, we are here to talk all things Millwall against Derby, or as me and Corey have have hashtagged it, it is the Snake Derby. It's not going to go away. That is that is what we're going to call it. And uh, there will be questions of Gary Rowett, and of course, a couple of ex-players as well. Uh, a little bit later on in the chat, um, but we always start off with, obviously, we're we're third of the way through the season now. Um, obviously, we'll kind of touch on Derby a little bit later, but mainly it's about uh, M- Millwall. Um, what, what's, the, what's the start been like, Omar? A bit hit and miss, to be honest. I mean, we're quite thankful in a sense that, you know, Gary Rowett, a previous manager of you boys coming into the club and over the course of a year we joined last October he's you know kind of made us a hard team to beat really obviously we had Neil Harris before that we came close a couple of times you know in the sense that we kind of got promoted from League One had the championship push and then last season under Harris we struggled big time I think he kind of ran his course before he left he'd done a big overhaul of the squad and a lot of them players make up the squad nowadays so I suppose in a sense despite him leaving so soon into the season kind of helped out Rowett who was quite positive about the signings he made and then obviously this season we've not I don't know we've only lost two games so would you I said this on my show the other day to one of my co-hosts I was like start the season if I said to you we'd have lost two games after 14 how happy would you be and like you know the the general sense would be over the moon but I think it's the context of the last five games we've only scored I think two or three goals we've drawn games galore only four wins from 14 so you could spin it either way I think we're where we're meant to be, mid-table, and hopefully with a bit of luck we can kind of push on a bit more, get a few wins. If they were a couple of them wins, a couple of them draws turn into a win, then it would be a different story. So I'm not too disheartened at the moment. Two, only two defeats all season, Corey. And he sits there and he says, "We've we've only scored four four goals in the last. Oh my God! I wish we had that goal scoring record. That'd be great." Yeah, me too. Me too. But um, I mean, yeah, like, like you said. Certainly under under Neil Harris, always quite like Neil Harris as a as a manager. To be perfectly honest with you, um, kind of obviously gone on to other other pastures, and and in all fairness, probably not doing too bad there either. Um, but in terms of Millwall, of course, you know he, it's nice. It, this is probably about the only one positive nice thing I'm going to say about Gary Rowett. So uh, I'll get it out of the way early. I must admit he is doing a pretty decent job. He, he has carried on in the same vein. Which doesn't surprise me in all fairness. He wasn't the world's worst manager at Derby. I, I do think sometimes the way that he played didn't suit Derby. Whereas I think it's not a bad fit at all for Millwall. We know he, he likes, he makes teams, he makes you hard to beat. And, you know, it, it might not be pretty at all times. 
it's kind of what not what the Derby fans really wanted. But um, of course, he, he had that little little spell at Stoke before, uh, in between obviously the two clubs, and he you know he, he walked out on us basically, and it's probably why we don't like him. But um, you know, in, in terms of like you say, they've Millwall have consolidated themselves. I think it's fair to say in the Championship now. Um, quite comfortably and you know I over the years certainly but the last couple in particular I mean Millwall is just not a trip that Derby want to make Derby is it's just not a trip that I don't think many clubs like to make uh, last season without fans the den just never never strikes like a oh yeah looking forward to that one just yeah even, never. even without fans it's just scary never and I must admit you know it was always one of them that when obviously not this season or really last season, but certainly the season before that and a few before where, you know, Derby have been on those playoff pushes and, you know, you've, you've looked at who they're up against and then gone, oh, so-and-so's going to Millwall and you're like, oh, great. This is a perfect opportunity for, for you know, for, for you to climb on, put, claim some points on them and things like that because nobody likes going to the den. What is it other than obviously the hostile atmosphere that you would normally get at the, at the den? Um, what is it that kind of what clicks for Millwall at home, Omar? Is is this something that you can put it down to? Because I say there's no fans at the minute, but it's still an intimidating place to go. I mean, you're. I feel like you're saying no fans, and you're saying that the home record. The key for us this season has been the home form has been poor. Like we've been good away from home. We're hard to beat. And if you told me like you win your home games, draw your away games, I think every fan in the league would take that for whatever club they support. So like. That side of things, we are hard to beat away from home. I think we've got 17 clean sheets in the candy year away from home, which is incredible. You know, I think from that sense, as you say about Rowett, the team's hard to beat. Under Harris, we was a bit critical of the idea that we don't play from the back, so to speak, the modern way of playing football. And now we're kind of doing the opposite, where we're playing from the back, but there's no kind of killer pass, so to speak, or anything real quality. Whereas with Harris, it'll be get up to Steve Morrison, play with Gregory up front, and try and cause trouble up front, get Jed Wallace involved. But under... With the home form and the hard place to go, I think we've missed the fans big time. I know a lot of clubs have will say that line and, you know, it's not been great. But for for us, I feel like the home form is imperative because of the fans and how intimidating it can be. Like, I think of last season and I think of the first game back from lockdown and Louis Sibley goes and scores a hat-trick for Derby. Now, I honestly think, and I've said this countless times, would Louis Sibley score a hat-trick with 15,000 Millwall fans in that ground? Me personally, no. I'm happy to be proven wrong and it's just me obviously being sceptical about it. But... If it was an intimidating place where I think back to seven, eight years ago where Will Hughes is playing for Derby and a Mill fan runs on the pitch. And I don't know why. I think we was losing four or five nil that day. And I think Bryson scored a couple of good goals that sticks in the memory. And Mill player runs on the pitch. And whenever Will Hughes has come back to Mill since, he's never had a good game, ever. And I, I'm sure it's because of the fans. And I'm sure like, a lot of it is because, you know, we make it an intimidating place to come. And especially when we've won the back of a good run of form and there's a 14, 15,000 gate at Millwall, which we're always a good team to play against. And this season, it's just been difficult because we're not scoring much, but also there's no fans there to get the players up and ready for the game. And I think that's really important for a side like us. Undoubtedly. But I, I, yeah, I'd agree with you. Um, and I mean, every, every club obviously tries to make the home form of a fortress and, you know, and that kind of thing. But Mill will do it year in, year out. And they do pick up those results there year. They're a bit, you're a bit like Bournemouth. It, Bournemouth did it in the Premier League. Chelsea, you know, United, Arsenal, they hated going to Bournemouth. 
hated it because nine times out of ten they turned them over. It's just something that Millwall have got, and obviously they um, that stat that you've just come out with there about the clean sheets. I mean, that's that if you could piece that together in a whole season, that that's promotion form, clearly. Um, so, you know, that's. I still think people probably have the perception of, oh, it's only Millwall. Um, but, you know, you, you can't take anything away from those stats. That is, over the last 18 months to two years, Millwall have been one of the form teams in, in the championship. I've been like disappointed with, you know, we had the chance last season. We went to Nottingham Forest away. We won 3-0. It was unbelievable. And that was our last game before lockdown. And I left that ground thinking, we've got 10 games to go. We're going to have big gates at the den because we're in with a shout, and that's what's going to happen. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to get a sellout every game, but if there's something to play for, our fans will turn up in numbers. And I felt last season was a big chance for us, but unfortunately, it didn't go our way. Yeah, I wanted to chat with you about that, Omar. Obviously, after lockdown, like you just said there, Louis Sibley, um, you know, had his hat trick and kind of his coming out party. I know us, us as Derby fans, we kind of knew him that a while, but it really kind of showed that he could probably, for most Derby fans, it solidified the fact that he could play at this level. I um, mean, at the time, both teams were kind of in the playoff picture, so to speak. So mm-hmm. how damaging was that result to how Millwall's season finished up? Massively. I mean, like I mentioned, the Friday night game away at Forest, and I was up in Nottingham. It was a great night. Stayed up there, and I, I remember just saying to my friends, like, if we can get away with the, the no games getting postponed and we're allowed crowd still, I really fancied us for between then and the end of the season. We had a favourable run. I think it was something like... 10 games but seven teams that are below us but for a team like Millwall the problem is we thrive on being the little boy in the league so when we play the likes of Norwich at home Bournemouth at home Bristol City at home that's when we'll get the big crowds that's when we'll turn up when we play the likes of Wickham at home I'll tell you now we'll probably lose that game 2-0 it's like it's just how we've kind of always been the underdog tag suits us to a T so and yeah last season the lockdown really did hit us I think and especially no fans and I know I've said it a couple of times already now but having no fans is huge for us I think. Do you think, I know there's several teams, one team that comes to mind obviously is Liverpool, that they're a team that um, just thrives off of the crowded Anfield. You know, and you can see that energy in the players sometimes. And after lockdown and, and the beginning of the season, they were kind of flat. And you were thinking, well, what happened to Liverpool before lockdown? Obviously the fans are that. And I think in a way, Jason, Derby may be a bit of the same as well, that Derby get good support. And without the fans there, the home form's really kind of fallen off the table. Um, I mean, is, is Millwall a team that thrives on that emotion from the crowd as well, that, you know, you, it's a noticeable difference now that the den is empty. Definitely. And I think it's part of the recruitment process. I feel like for a club like us, I feel there's players that we would sign that would net like, you know, the technical flair players, especially with a crowd. And if we're losing, you know, it's not uncommon for Mill to, you know, get on the back of their own players, if I'm honest with you. And I think it's not necessarily because they're not putting in a good performance with the flair or tactical, you know, how they're playing or technique. It's more so if they're not giving 100%. And I feel like, especially with with being crowds there and especially if you're like the underdog and you're like, you're working your nuts off and you know you're maybe not the best side, but as long as there's a 100% element there and having that, it, we thrive on pressing teams, going high against them. And we're not going to press teams with no fans there because it's not really encouraging the players to kick on, I think. Fair enough. I mean, another thing I want to talk about real quick is is the manager, Gary Rowett. Jason, I know when he was at Derby, uh, we kind of saw, not I would say not the prettiest football, I would say kind of more long ball kind of. It was effective. Yeah, effective kind of. Just I guess we could just call that effective championship football. I guess that's the politically correct term to use for that. Omar, is, is Gary Rowett much the same now at Millwall or is kind of he tactically a, 
Has he kind of tactically grown a little bit? Does he have a plan B? What, what do we kind of expect from Millwall these days? It's different for us. I think it depends on who we're playing a lot, but we t- try to play this five at the back with three centre-halves. We've got Alex Pierce, who's another previous Derby boy, who kind of is in and out of the side, but he's our captain. If we play three at the back, he tends to play in the middle. You've got Sean Hutchinson and Jake Cooper either side of him. And under Harris, you wouldn't, or Neil Harris, sorry, you wouldn't have really seen us you know, playing from the defence. Under Rowett, it's definitely a thing where you've seen the players come on a bit more. I remember last season playing Derby and Jake Cooper's running down the left-hand side of the pitch and he's trying to take about seven or eight Derby players on. And I'm thinking, we would never have seen that under Neil Harris. So there's definitely an element of a more football inside. But I think it's, we've been so unlucky with injuries and I feel like we rely so much on Jed Wallace, who is clearly our most valuable asset. And we rely on him too much, I feel like. And unfortunately, a couple of injuries kind of put in pay to the likes of Troy Parrott earlier on in the season. It's kind of, you know, left us a little bit hanging. But I think Rowett's definitely brought us on as a football inside, I feel like. To be fair, you've, you've almost set me up there because you've just mentioned two players' names that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my family uh, are Spurs fans and Troy Parrott has been named that has been, you know, this guy is the next thing. Um, and it, it was great to see him get I was just intrigued to see how he would do uh, and obviously found that he was at Millwall and as you say unfortunately not really not really going to be able to see too much of him but you know he, he, I know he, he certainly comes from Spurs fans with uh, with quite a pedigree um, I hope that Millwall obviously you you get to see him a little bit more than maybe you, you might be doing at the minute um, and of course the other one the, the main really for me other than obviously Lee Gregory, who's obviously um, who's, who's no longer there, but Jed Wallace. Any time Derby have certainly come up against him, an absolute handful. He scores goals, he creates goals. He, he is a he, he's just one of those players that you you want in your side. Um, how well has he done this season uh, so far? And in all fairness, how have Millwall kind of kept away from? Possibly a bigger boy coming round, sniffing round him, and and, and pinching him. Because me personally, I think I think he could play at, at a higher level from what I've seen of him. Yeah, I mean, with Parrot, we're quite. He's actually on his way back, so he's played the last two games. So he is, but he's still a hundred percent not quite there at the moment. I feel like it's weird though. Like he's the most hyped player that I've never seen play before. I know that sounds really silly, and and that sounds really cynical of me, but. I think Premier League clubs love a youngster because, you know, they've not, they're playing all these big boys, all the international players that are on hundreds of thousands of pounds a week. Give your own a chance. And they signed him a couple of years ago from a team in Ireland. I've not really seen much of him, but he's obviously really highly regarded at Spurs because he got a long-term contract. And he's obviously highly regarded at Republic of Ireland because he was called up to the 21s on his way back from injury. After playing a game for them, he's been promoted to the senior squad to train with them. So there's obviously something class about him. Mm. In pre-season, he scored three goals in three games. We're thinking, here we go. And he gets injured just before the kickoff. And it's like, like demoralising for us because as I'm saying about us, we're not scoring goals. We're hard to beat, but we just can't score goals. So Parrot was the answer to that. At least, you know, putting as much pressure as you want on 18, 19 year old, you know, you're not too sure how he's really going to do till he's in there. And then we signed Kenneth Sahor afterwards, who's also injured now for the rest of his loan spell till January. And it's like, you know, Rarich can't get any luck with that one, I'm afraid. But then you get on to Jed Wallace, who is like, you know, our main player by clear country mile. And a lot of people, a lot of Millwall fans even this year have been quite critical of him, funny enough, because I think he set the benchmark so high last season. I think it was 10 goals, 10 assists. And he started the season he's our top goal scorer again. So like, how much can you criticise him? He's five goals, the rest are on one. You know, he's obviously 
our main linchpin. But I think the problem is, is teams are sussing onto that. So a lot of teams are paying more respect nowadays. So he, I think he's just, he's over relied on. So he's kind of taken on the responsibility of being the key player. Whereas he thrives if there's other players around him doing the work. And then that way he can focus on doing his own thing. Then you see him pop up with an outrageous goal. And it's like, especially when they pay him a lot of respect, it's, it's hard for him to get into the games, I feel like. But he's obviously still our best player. Yeah, I've, I've seen him score a, a fair few against Derby in his time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's one of those players that, you know, you look at the opposition and you just think, yeah, I'd, I'd like him in my side. Uh, so was, a, he suits a Burnley or something, though. That's the kind, if, I, if you mentioned the big boy question, mm. it, wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a team that, you know, a, it might be a Bournemouth maybe, but he suits a Burnley where you stick on the right side of midfield. He'll be a winger, but he will come inside and cause damage somewhere. And it, he'll work his heart out as well, So, which is obviously for Millwall a huge plus. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he, uh, obviously those, there, there are other <clears> players out there. And before we move on to... As you say, the three that are kind of got a connection with Derby. Um, who else is? Who else has been standing out for Millwall this season so far, Omar? He's made a couple of mistakes in goal this season, but Bielkowski was our Player of the Year last year. He's the previous Ipswich goalkeeper. Yeah, good goalkeeper. Five years at Ipswich. I think he tailed off when he got relegated, so it was kind of left on sale notes, but still a fond favourite there. Came to us last season and made the number on his own. We signed him in Frank Fielding last season, who was I think at Derby before, wasn't he as well, Frank Fielding? Yeah, he has and been he's, at Derby, he's, yeah. not, he's not getting a look in at the moment because. Bilkowski is just outrageous, but he's made a couple of mistakes, but he's the ever consistent. The same with Jake Cooper at centre-half. He, so if I said like who's our most valuable asset, it'd be Jed Wallace and Jake Cooper. Another player who I could see playing for a Burnley, for example, which I know sounds silly to compete saying Burnley is the Premier League side to be the ones that they could go to, but they're just hard workers and they're, they're just so reliant on what they do. And Cooper's no different. Like He's played, I think, 170 games in a row for Millwall and like in the Championship is considering Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Like he's still been doing it week in, week out. And on the weekend, even just like a noteworthy one, he um, dislocated his shoulder during the game. And he's obviously so aware of this record. He asked the physio to pop it back in and just played on. And it's like, you don't normally get that in the championship these days or in the football full stop, really. Um, the rest of the side, I mean, it's been hit and miss. Mason Bennett's done all right. I know we're going to get on to him in a minute. He hasn't scored this season, but he, he offers something different to our forward line. He's unfortunately injured at the moment. And the rest of them, I mean... Not been too impressed with any of them, to be honest. Ryan Woods is in midfield. He, he ticks the game over. He, he suits the Gary Rowett, kind of trying to play from the back. But we're really heavily reliant on Jed Wallace, really. One one player you didn't notice in there that I mentioned that I thought did a good job uh, last season was Romeo, the fullback. How's he doing? He's all right. He's he's also injured, I think, for the last three or four games, but. He, the thing is with him, he's probably a bit like Kyle Walker in a sense, where Kyle Walker at Man City, if he makes a mistake, he's got the pace to just kind of get back in there and make up for his mistake. I feel like his game, if he didn't have the, the yard of pace he's got on everyone else, he wouldn't be probably where he is at the moment. He's come on a lot because we play the three centre half and it allows him to kind of bomb on the right. But his end product's not, it flatters to deceive sometimes. He is a really good player and we're lucky to have him. But he's kind of hit and miss at times, I'm afraid. But yeah, he's done well. On the left-hand side, Scott Malone and Murray Wallace. Murray Wallace is a 6 out of 10 every game. He's reliant as well for us. I think we just got... That's our problem with us. We've got a lot of 6 out of 10s, not enough 8 or 9 out of 10s to kind of win us a game. That's kind of the moral of the story there. Jason, should we turn it over to somebody Omar just mentioned there, but you are the president, chief executive, chief financial officer, number one fan of, former, actually still current Derby County player and now Millwall Loney, Scott Malone. Yeah, I mean... I'm going to put it out there, and you, you know this, Corey, that when he came in, I actually thought, yeah, that is a that is a solid, solid championship 
left back. He's played in the Premier League for you know quite a bit of his career. He's always kind of come straight back down again. He's always been one of those players. But I thought, yeah, absolutely experienced. And I think the first two, three games I saw him, I thought, yeah, perfect. And then his, his career at Derby kind of just nosedived. Um, his performances weren't brilliant. He, he made some strange mistakes. Um, I think I may well have referred to him as a, as a pissed-up Bambi a couple of times. He, he's just all legs. For six foot four, he can't win a header. Um, you know, th- there's, just, there's just so much about him that I don't really like. And I think he kind of lost a lot of respect for, in Derby's eyes because he, he had a go at a fan, didn't he, Corey, at Derby, I think. On in the uh, in the east stand, and basically, you know, he got a rude gesture. Yeah, Um, and the Derby fans didn't really like that. And then he kind of he he became the scapegoat. He was playing week in week out nearly, but a lot of a lot of the fingers were being pointed at him. Um, Don't get me wrong; he scored a few cracking goals for Derby. To be honest with you, and as a, I think as a wing back, it's probably suited because he can't defend to save his life. But uh, in, from what I've seen of him, anyway. But going forward, is his you know is his qualities, and he's got a, he's got a beast of a left foot on him. Um, but okay. yeah, he, he's very he left a sour taste in for me at Derby. He just he didn't do what I was expecting him to do when he came in, um, and I think what he actually got brought in to do. I think he's has he got like four promotions under him or something like. He, he's been he's been really successful wherever he's gone. He's just never really stayed anywhere for longer than 12 months. And that kind of makes alarm bells start ringing, actually, when you think about it. And then, obviously, kind of now, I would presume his Derby career is over. You look at it and go, yeah, it's just he's just a journeyman. He's just another one of those, you know, the other nine clubs clearly weren't wrong uh, with what they saw in him. I think the death knoll that sealed it for me before we get your take, Omar, was when he came back from lockdown. I think it was, wasn't it, Jason? And he looked at a picture of Megan Rapino and he decided... I'll have that hairstyle. That'll be a good look. And I think that was a death knoll for both Yeah. Guys. Yeah, he came back with a strange, strange weird hair, weird blonde hair, dyed hair. Yeah. Hair band or something. And it yeah. Was... <sighs> he looked an he looked a complete idiot. But hey ho. Um they're they're my opinions of him. <clears throat> what are your um, opinions, Omar? Yeah. Well, he, he obviously played for us, um, I don't know if you yes. know, 2012 to 2015. So we um, paid a lot of money for him at the time as well. So he was at Bournemouth in League One and we had a player on their books called, on our books called Josh McCoy, who was a striker that we signed for half a million at the time from Bournemouth. And then I think the rumoured deal was almost 600,000 plus McCoy going back to Bournemouth. So equivalent of a million pound signing. And for us, we don't normally make such big signings at the time. And he came in and... You know, you think of a defender, he's probably the first middle defender we saw at the club where he's a modern-day defender. He tries to get forward, and you mentioned him as a wing-back, and I think he has suited it this season when he's come in and done well for us. And he was there for a couple of years in the first spell, and then after 2014-15 season, we had Steve Lomas, who was an ex-West Ham captain as manager, never worked out. He lasted half a year. And then Malone's contract was running out, so we sold him on the cheap to Cardiff, and he left. And I was quite disappointed to see him go. Like, I feel like we had a, a core of players at the time that I mentioned to you, like, for example, Jed Wallace and Cooper. Malone wasn't to them levels at the time, but he was a valuable asset in a sense that if we tied him down, he's a couple million pound player in this division. So it was sad to see him leaving on such a cheap. And I feel, feel like it was a kind of similar spell to a lot of players we had at the time. And then the chance for him to come back, was, it was so bizarre. I mean, 
it ticked the box though because we're playing this five at the back and you like I said about Romeo where he gets forward and he's got the pace Maloney's dressed out on the left but a bit more quality like you mentioned with his left foot so it made sense. It was a logical signing. A lot of people, we have not signed any players for any cash or anything since routes come in, but obviously we're in the testing times of COVID and all that scenario. So it, it just ticked the box. It filled a, a slot in the squad that we needed to fill. And in a sense, it's a kind of chance to him going, you know, you've not really worked out at Derby. Come to us. If you do well, you can own a contract probably for next season if he stays around. So, yeah, I mean, not sure on him, to be honest. He's not really the... I think his personality dictates a lot what a lot of people think of him. He's he's a bit you love him or hate him, and mm. it's like it's not your you don't see him and go he's got broad shoulders. You don't look at him and think he's you know a class player either. You just look at him and think you're a bit of a joker a little bit, ain't you? I think that's his personality, and I think with that that's probably why it's not worked out for him at Derby. And a lot of Mill fans were a bit sceptical when we signed him back, but I've, he's done all right in the twelve games he's played so far. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't, um, I don't wish any ill on the lad, but it, it just, it didn't, it didn't work out for Derby. But I mean, we, I can't sit here and say we didn't see some good performances from him because we did. They were just so inconsistent, it, it, and it really was chalk and cheese. You, he was at a point. I think he played three. I can't remember when it was. Now he played a couple of games, and he thought, "Yep, yeah, first choice." first left back and then he'd just make an absolute clangor in like three games straight and you're like yeah mm-hmm. th- this is obviously um, it's something that me and Corey say a lot these players are in the championship because they're not good enough for the Premier League they're not consistent enough for the Premier League um, and Scott Malone does does come for that one but I mean like you said that I, I, I did know that he, he played for you earlier on in his mm-hmm. career but like you say Cardiff, Fulham, Huddersfield all in the Premier League you know we signed him for a million and a half so you know he's there's obviously something that people see in him. Um, but, yeah, for me, not so good. I mean, like I say, I hope he does well at Millwall. And, you know, because mm. I, I don't think his future's at Derby at the minute, that's for sure. I feel like it's a last chance saloon for him as well. Like, he's, I think he's 30 now. I want to so say like, he, must be, he must be getting on, because I think he's so, when we signed him. 20 he's now. always been the 20-year-old, 20-odd-year-old attacking left-back. But now it's the 30-year-old left-back who, if he wants to stay in the championship, he's got to work for it. So I think it's a good kind of option for him to come back to us. And so far, it's been okay. Corey? One other player, I don't think we can mention it uh, without it. Um, obviously, we know I, one player, obviously, there's a lot of players, oddly enough, that have crossed both paths. We talk about Frankie Fielding. Um, Alex Pierce, you've mentioned, plays in the better of that back three. Um, I always liked him at Derby. I always thought he was a real solid player. Um, I know people always remember his time for when he kicked the ball into his own face, which is just hilarious. Um, but I always I always thought that Derby were a much weaker team without him, and I definitely think that he would improve uh, Millwall, uh, Derby's back line if he was here today. Um, so those players aside, I think we need to have a discussion on the one, the only, um, the Pushkas award nominee that didn't get it, even though he should have Mason Bennett. Um, and you said, you said earlier, Omar, Mason Bennett hasn't scored yet, but what's his performance has been like for Millwall? Obviously he's out injured, so we probably won't see him on the game. Um, but what's his performance has been like and, and the mood around Millwall fans on Mason Bennett? He's a bit of a, I mean, it's a bit of an enigma already early doors. He was on loan to us last season, scored a couple of goals, and then we'd done the deal to sign him from you guys. I think it must have been a cheap one, like kind of both clubs, you know, happy to do the deal. Derby happy to see him go, us happy to take him. I think Rout really likes him and he offers a bit of raw pace. So like, you know, if you get, he links up well in the Preston game, sticks in the memory when we won 2-0 a few weeks ago, but it's just not seen it enough from him. He's a, he's a bit of a sick note, unfortunately, that I would label him with early doors at Millwall, which is... I mean, 16-year-old playing in the championship when he first came through, it might make sense that, you know, he's now kind of come to the point where 
he's been mistreated a little bit when he was younger, you know, and now it's kind of caught up with him. But you can tell he's really desperate to make it work at us. And I think he's desperate to kind of prove Derby fans wrong a little bit. I think, you know, he, he really is keen to make an impression with us. And he works hard and he, he does his bit. But again, he's not scored this season. And, you know, the injuries have kind of put pay to that as well, I feel like. So not sure where I really sit with him just yet. I think he's on a contract where it really incentivizes him. He's a pay-as-you-play, so I think he gets a basic, which is quite cheap compared to the rest of the squad. And if he plays, he'll get a nice little fat sum to make it to similar to the rest of the squad. So it's obvious that he's come to us with the intention of trying to make it work, but not really convinced at the minute. It's similar that's... to how our wage structure of the podcast is, I think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you, get, you get the big books and I just get, you know, I'm on appearances. But... You mentioned um, Alex Pierce as well. I mean, I, I want to shout him out because he he's not technically there at all. And you mentioned him kicking the ball into his face. And I, I'm sure he's done that probably four or five times for us already. But he just reads the game so well. Mm. And like, it, you can see it. He's like four or five steps ahead of the rest of the defenders in our team. And it's it's no discredit to him because he's played in the Premier League as well in the past, many moons ago. And you can just look at him. You can see like, he's a proper leader as well. And he wears the armband and he still comes out to start games. He still claps the fans that are not even there. And he's, you can just tell he's a bit kind of, of a loose cannon a little bit. But... I think he's just perfect for the squad and he keeps everyone in line and he's just a, a born leader, I think, for us. So I wanted to give him a note ball. Yeah, I think, I think that worked, really worked out, the move for Gary Rowett when he stopped in because he played a lot under Rowett when he was here mm. at Derby. And, and I would agree with you. I think Alex Pierce, he never really complained about – I mean, he should have probably been a starter at the time, but he never complained when he was dropped out of the team. And then Derby were like, oh, uh, we don't have anybody else. Alex Pierce will play there. And he was like, yeah, I'm happy to do that and whatever. And like you said, he used to play in the Premier League. Irish defender and I always thought he's one of those guys that you need to have around your squad because he's not going to complain he's not going to be negative in the dressing room but mm-hmm. when he does come out he's going to give you a six out of ten a seven out of ten whenever he steps on whether that's every week or that's once a month or ten times a season whatever you need he's going to be able to provide that and I was kind of sad in a way to see kind of that squad player go in a way and I don't think Darby have really replaced him yet with anybody um, of that kind of quality or, or caliber. Yeah, you're bang on you're bang on there. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. When he came in, again, from we uh, from Reading, Reading's captain, and you think, yeah, great signing. And he never, it, in all fairness, he hardly ever played for Derby. He really didn't. And you did think to yourself, how can he not get into this side? And then he did have a bit of a patch. I think that we had an injury at the back. Came in, never really put a foot wrong, in all fairness. And we just, like you say, we just let him kind of pass us by and, and off he went. And I thought, well, I, yeah, like Corey said there, decent squad player, quite strange, probably not on the biggest wage. Like you say, kept himself to himself, quite quiet and, you know, never complained. For me, one of those players that you, you know, you have in your side, you just have in your squad. It's so why we ever let him go, I'm, I'm not too sure. But I mean, touching Mason Bennett there, it's exactly what he was at Derby for nine years. A, a promise, a promising talent that just never, never materialised. Obviously, as you say, we had him from, I think he might have even been 15 when he made his debut for Derby. Um, and he was the next best thing for seven years and it just never materialised for him, unfortunately. Injuries hampered him big time at Derby as well. Um, he'd have two or three good games. Um, you'd think to yourself, yeah, right, he's ready for a run in the side. He'd get injured or he'd, he'd make an impact off the bench three or four games give him his start and you were hauling him off after half an hour because he was just ineffective. I think under Lampard, he got, he, the, Lampard got some form out of him. He was yeah. scoring goals for Derby, to be fair. He mm-hmm. looked a decent player. And then as soon as he went, obviously everything went off off the pitch. Um, there was no way he was ever stopping at Derby because of what he did. 
Um, but he he just he's one of those say he was almost 10, 10 years coming through and he never he just never quite hit that that mark did he Corey no he didn't and I think the thing that stands out with Mason Bennett is, is a couple things one he came through at 15 everyone goes oh my god you know it's like it's 15 to play a professional game it's just crazy you know it's just insane I think about what I was doing at 15 I wasn't playing professional football you know I mean, unless it was on FIFA which I was still crap at and still am to this day. So don't play me online because I'm terrible, Jason. I'll test to that. Mm. But um, you always think, oh, man, this guy's going to make it. This guy's going to make it. Then you wake up and you're like, he's 22 years old. And if, and if he had, it was just a player come out of the academy at that age group or you had signed him, you would be like, he's not pulling up any trees. But because he had this long lineage with Darby, you always, oh, hey, hope is this going to be the season. And I agree with Jason. I think Frank got the best form out of him, you know, being that impact sub occasional spot starter. And he really looked like he was progressing. But then – Last season under Kaku, Kaku, he didn't really um, take that next step. And I think the thing that stands out for me for Mason Bennett was the stat that I heard that he's never actually finished a 90-minute game in his entire professional career. And for someone like Jason, like, like you know, Omar and Jason, you know, he's been around since 15, so he's been playing now nearly 10 years. He's made a couple hundred appearances for Darby, Knotts County, Millwall, Burton Albion, and he's never played a full 90 minutes, and you're a professional footballer. That's just crazy. I think it backdates to us as well now. So it is a consistent stat with him. And I think I was surprised when we signed him. I, I obviously knew of him because he was the, was it Nigel Clough that gave him the chance, wasn't it? And then he came through and you're thinking, okay, so he's obviously got something about him. And I remember him playing a few games and I was thinking when we signed him, I was like, I'm not sure what I think about this one. I think I've read somewhere he only played like 80, 90 games for Derby County. And I was thinking, that's unbelievable. Like, how has he been there for so long? But he's not even, you know, managed to get past like, 100 games for the club, which I found amazing. So it's a a disappointment. I think he he is settled with us and he is an option, but just not convinced if he can get past the injuries. It's funny, Jason's sitting there and I'm thinking, yep, I say that on the show about him. Yep, I said that about him on the show. Yep, I said that about him on the show. And I'm thinking, oh my God, is is this what we've signed? Like, you don't really see it past when when you you judge him how he plays for your club. So when I'm speaking to you guys and you're saying the exact same thing, I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> if, if he can keep himself fit, which I get, he has struggled to do at his time at Derby, then I, th- I think you've got a decent player on your hands. I don't think is the is the upper echelons of the championship. He's not going to score you twenty five goals a season. I'd be I'd be amazed. But mm-hmm. I think he, you know, I think he can do a job in the championship, and he started to show he could do a job in the championship. But then again, in you know, injury strikes, changing manager, out of favour, and. Unfortunately, he, after what he did off the pitch, there was no coming back for him. And, and I think, you know, to say how long he's been in football, he is he is still quite immature, which is obviously not great. Uh, a favourite question we like to ask Omar, and to be honest with you, I'm sick of the answer, but I'm still going to ask it here anyway. Um, Derby County coming to the den. Um, what, what's your opinion on Derby County? Sorry, let me correct that question, Omar. Bottom of the league, Derby County, come to the den. What are your thoughts on bottom of the league, Derby County, coming to the den? Well, as I said about teams that we're normally expected to beat, so bottom of the league, Derby County, coming to the den, scored less goals than us, conceded more than us. We've got 2,000 fans going to be there Saturday. We're probably going to lose. I'm not even joking. That's how we tend to be, that sort of side. So we are like a banana skin side, big time, especially when we're expected to you know, go into the game and dictate play. I mean... 
What do I think of Derby? I mean, you're always the nearly club for the championship, aren't you? I looked at Huddersfield about five, six, seven, eight years ago in League One when we was there, and they were the same side. But then they just skyrocketed and obviously got to the Premier League for that one year. And now they're coming back down to normality. But Derby's always been the nearly side. I think back to Gary Rowett's side, and I think back to Bradley Johnson in the middle, Tom Huddleston, George Fawn. I think of Richard Keogh at the back. I, I think of them as like, you know, proper championship statesmen that will do a job for you. And like, I probably would take two or three of them now to this point, to be honest with you, like as in they're good players and they, they were like ever consistent for you boys. But yeah, I mean, I just think of Derby as a nearly side, to be honest. Like you, you're clearly a, a Premier League club almost, but just not quite able to get out of the league. Not Certainly not at the minute. We know we're, mm. we know we're, 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 we're further away from it now than we've ever been. I can't uh, believe you were down the bottom, to be honest. I, I mean, I, I didn't really see it coming. I knew I, I wasn't convinced on Cockery, to be honest, like, from an outsider's point of view. I, I just never really thought, you know, it, a lot of clubs try to do this thing where you take play managers from a foreign league and you hope it works over here. But I, I, just, I didn't know if it was a good option for you. For you. Who did you have before Cockery? It was, it was, it was a, a route, was it? Lampard. Frank yeah. Lampard, of course, I, yeah, of course. And I think you're right. I mean, Philip Cock is a good manager in his own right, but I just think when you, when sometimes when you get managers who are inexperienced in, in, in English football, and it's fine in the Premier League, like you can get away with like Guardiola and Klopp, and obviously they're blue chip managers, but you can still get away with it in a way. Wagner at Huddersfield did a job for a period of time, but when you're throwing somebody in their first action of Premier of English football as the championship, you're asking for trouble because it is such a competitive and tough league. I mean, Millwall know how tough it is. Derby know how tough it is. You know, so you need somebody. You don't necessarily need that sexy foreign name to come in. You need a Gary Rowett. You need a Paul Cook. You need a, um, I was going to say somebody, Nigel Harris, Neil Harris, Neil Harris. Neil Harris, yeah. Neil Harris. yeah you're yeah. right, and it's true. You know, and like we're, we're we're like that in the sense that, you know, if we brought in a flamboyant manager, Mill fans won't have him from the first game. To be honest, and like you give him a chance, obviously, but you, you, we need like you need in, the, in this league in particular, you need like a an experienced manager that knows what he's doing, I feel like. If you look at Neil Warnock, for example, at Middlesbrough. Like, you know, he, he stabled that sinking ship and now they're in the top 10, I think. And you know what you're going to get with a Neil Warnock side. Exactly. Just like, you, you know, as soon as Middlesbrough hired Neil Warnock, I thought they're, they're automatically turned around because 100%. you know what he's going to bring. You know what Neil Harris is going to bring. You know what Gary Rowett's going to bring. And sometimes when you bring the unknown, it's going to do one of two things. Either you're going to win the league in, in, in like a cakewalk or you're going to completely fail and fall flat on your face. And unfortunately, Darby... I wouldn't say they fell completely flat on face because tenth with a playoff challenge was still pretty good last season, but this season it's just kind of gone pear shaped very quickly. Another and thing I think, that I think, no, sorry, another thing that I do think about Derby, I just think you spent a lot of money and it's catching up with you a little bit, especially at this level. I think with the FFP stuff that they've got, I, I read about it last season. You guys were in big trouble, but I don't know if that's gone now or if it's the threat of that's disappeared. Or yeah, it's gone, but now they're the EFL's appealing it. They were found not guilty. EFL's appealing mm-hmm. it, so. You, you don't know, you know, like the way the EFL are and the way the FA are and stuff like it's mm-hmm. okay for some and then it's okay for others and, and whatever. And I think, you know, as a Derby supporter, and I think Jason would probably mirror this a little bit, like some people think it's really clever, but I'm on the fence of like, you're, you're living in a gray area here and eventually it's going to come, the sheriff's eventually going to come knocking at the door. Mm-hmm. And I think he started to knock on the door now. And I think it eventually starts to catch up with you and you can do whatever you want or, or what have you. And, it, and it's fine. And yes, technically there are no rules were broken, but when you start going, well, technically it's like VAR. Well, technically Ollie Watkins wasn't offside. Well, technically when you start getting to those technical things, especially with something as football and accounting and things like that, it's just, it just starts to smell a little bit bad. And you're like, yeah, you know, maybe it was a little sketchy. Did you sell the stadium or something back to the club or something? Yeah, he sold, I was reading the, the, about it. I the remember, club yeah. sold the stadium back to the owner, another owner's company, <laughs> and then they rent it back for a million pounds. And 
that's kind of where it comes yeah. from because Steve Gibson says, well, you know, how is this stadium valued at this? And it should be visited at like 30 million. And it was the same as like some random league two ground. I think it was that he valued. He's like, he compared it to like Adams park at Wickham or something. And it was like, it, it's not Adams park at Wickham. But then when you look at the Medeski and it's similar sized ground, a little bit smaller, but then you look at the real estate costs in London and it's like 40 million and Darby's like double that. And it's a little bit bigger, but it's in, it's not in prime real estate. You know, there are, there are some weird advantages, but then again, you know, same, it, it's only worth what somebody wants to pay for it. Right. So mm-hmm. you could say, I want a million pounds for my house. And I go, well, I'm only going to give you 500,000. So it, it's only worth what someone's going to pay for it. So it is a weird sketchy thing. And it's a very strange time. I would think Jason to be a bit of a Derby fan. Wouldn't you agree? Mm, yeah, I mean, th- I think the stadium, certainly the valuation of the stadium thing, a lot of that, a lot of the 80 whatever million pound it was hinged on, oh, well, but when we get to the Premier League, this is what we're going to do to it. And it, it's going to have this massive overhaul and it's going to be upgraded to 45,000 seater stadium and it's, it's going to be this and it's going to be that and it's going to be the other, which is probably going to cost more than 80 million pounds to do. So it, it was all a little bit, you know, a little bit sketchy, like Corey said. And, you know, as a fan, being a fan of Derby County, a lot of people from the outside might look at it and go, do you know what? Probably not a bad club to support. They kind of always up there. They've got a chairman who spends money. They've got some decent players, but I can, I can assure you it's one of the most painstaking things because you just, like you say, eventually it comes back to bite you and it's going, obviously we're under a takeover at the moment. Um, and it's, it's finally run its course. It's taken a few years but it has finally all those little loopholes that were found, all those cheats and whatever you want to call them. They finally, they finally caught up. Um, and I mean, can I say that all of those things are, are the reason why Derby are where they are at the moment in the league? No, I don't think that's quite a fair judgment, but you know, they do a lot of it is down to that. And you know, this club that we put it, that our chairman took over just after the playoff final loss against QPR. So 2014, he took over in, in six years, he's taken Derby from one minute away from the premier league to the bottom of the championship under his ownership. And that's, that's, that is a massive, massive backward step. Don't matter what came in between. That is a massive backward step. And he's realized now that he can't afford to fund it anymore. And it's not what he wants to do anymore. Even though he's a, our owner is a massive Derby fan. He, he's he, he wants out he needs to jump ship he's tried he's tried he's failed and, and and that's that's the thing like you know with Millwall you sit there and you and for the way I look at Millwall and I could be completely wrong Omar so please correct me if I'm wrong but Millwall is a very steady championship team they get very steady championship players they take the occasional risk but most of the things are pretty steady Eddie let's continue to build and even if we get a manager we're going to get you're going to replace Neil Harris with um Gary Rowett you're probably going to replace Gary Rowett with somebody else who's got very good championship pedigree but Derby's tried everything. They've tried um, foreign player, foreign exports. They've tried uh, young talent. They've tried uh, lower league talent. They've tried old aging Premier League stars. Darren Bent comes one of them. They've tried spending big on George Thorne. I mean, he got injured nine days later and basically finished his Derby career. They've, they've tried everything. And now the remit was, well, let's, let's push the academy players through. And the academy players were fine for a few games after lockdown. But when you're starting five, there were nine of them on the field against West Brom. Darby only finished with 10, but there were nine of them on the field against West Brom Academy graduates. And you're just sitting there and you're like, you cannot go into this kind of thing. So it's like Jason, it's not one thing that's caused Darby to become bottom of the league. It's not just Philip Cocky. It's not just the takeover. It's not just the low competence of the players. 
it's all these little things that keep taking five and 10% off the performance levels. And then eventually you're at the bottom of the league and, and you're really struggling because this team is so devoid of confidence that it, 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 it is, it is kind of scary. And if Derby County was a year, it would be 2020 because it's just, you just see things and you just go, this is just crazy. And we had said at the beginning of the season, Jason, two of the things that Darby needed to have a successful season was the young players to play out of their skin and no off the field distractions. And we had no off the field distractions, but then all of a sudden club takeovers come in, shake Khalid, we're sacking the manager. So that's off the field, not been resolved yet. And you don't know how much that affects the players. And then you know, the, the young players to play out of the skin and not a lot of them have done that. They've been in the 18 and now they're, some of them aren't even in the 23 or 25 or 40 man game day roster, whatever we have now with 45 men on the bench, you know, throw, throw the whole, throw the whole youth Academy on there. Or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's just one of many different things. And it's difficult sometimes as, as a football fan, you know, you want to look at it objectively because there's obviously, you know, there's other things in the realm of football going on, but as a Derby fan, sometimes you sit back and you just go, you know, what are we trying to do? And Jason and myself, we always try to look at it outside of just the focus of the club. And I'm sure you do with Millwall, right? There's other clubs other than Millwall. There's other clubs other than Derby. And people sit there and go, well, Derby deserves to be promoted. Yet yeah, 23 other clubs believe they should be promoted as well. So, you know, it's, it's just really difficult to, to do that. So we try to take the positives and the silver linings of, of what we can do. And um, it, it can be a bit difficult. I think the number one thing that has to change for Derby is, in order to turn the fortunes around, it has to be solidity in the managerial office because I'm going to be, I'm going to be, if, if Wayne Rooney is your manager, I don't know what the question is. If that's the answer, I, I just don't know. And it, it's got nothing to, I'm sure Wayne Rooney can be a very good manager, but to give a bottom of the league side, that's a one-way ticket to league one. Non-stop. He's the same thing with John Terry as well. I think he's ruined with you lot, isn't he? I mean, yeah, if I'm, if I'm John Terry, he wouldn't touch that with barge pole. You, you want a club that's going to spend some money. And I think, like I said about Derby County, when I thought of it, it's like the owners obviously kind of slipped up a little bit of the financial side of things, I feel like. And you've kind of gambled because you've been so close a couple of seasons. Why won't you try again and try and gamble again? And it's kind of gone backwards for you guys. I mean, if I asked you, do you know who owns Millwall? Or like, I don't expect you to know, but do either of you know like who's involved at the back room? Or Not at now. Millwall? Not now. So, I, know, I know Theo Petit just did. So we've got um, a Boston-based owner called John Berylson who's got interests in American football and hockey. But if I, if I could tell you who Mel Morris is, I could tell you what he gets up to, I could tell you who your technical director is, Steve McLaren, all this, it's, it's just like a fanfare a little bit. And I feel like a lot of it is getting their name out there and trying to, you know, be a bit showy in a sense. And I feel, I feel like owners come in with this idea that, you know, I'm going to come in, I'm going to revolutionise the place, when a lot of the time you just need to trust what you've already got. And Berylson's come in and he, he was from the States and he had no interest at all in football. He said, like, he obviously came to a middle game, saw the crowd and he said, I love this, the, the real passion for the club. And he's changed nothing. Nothing's changed with the club. He's kind of trusted the people inside that, you know, look after the club. We've had the same people working for the club 20, 30 years. Like, I'm talking to people that do the reception, do, you know, work in the backroom staff. And he's always done, he's just entrusted, you know, it's less about him. It's just he, he's there in the background. He's, he's, he's kind of left the club to kind of self-sufficient. And as long as the right person's in charge and there's a chief exec there that kind of oversees it, he's like, just do what you want to do. I, I trust you. And it's like, I feel like with Mel Morris, like I feel from the outside perception, Mel Morris is, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. And it's like, so sometimes you might need to think, let the football club run. And then kind of, I'll be there to help you if you need it sort of thing. And I feel like with us, we've got that to a T with our own. And he is a steady Eddie and he's just consistently writing off our dates every year. And he's happy to be there because he loves the idea of like, you know, the passion we're about really. I think for me in a nutshell, as it looks to be coming to an end for Mel Morris, it's, you've hit it bang on the head, Omar. He, he, 
he tried to rev first and foremost is a derby fan is a season he was a season ticket holder at derby before he took over mm-hmm. that to me works one of two ways unfortunately he's yet he's let his head and you know his heart rule his head sometimes and he made he's made massive mistakes he made massive mistakes in the first three or four seasons uh, on on spending money and then he tried to claw it back uh, like when we had Rowett, didn't spend a great deal of money other than I think uh, Matej Vidra we brought. Um, but then obviously Rowett left us. So then he's you know, obviously he was, he was quick to find managers. He was quick to, there's just so much about it. But because he's a Derby fan, mm-hmm. the fans didn't really, they went, oh, you know, he's, he's, he's Derby through and through. But actually, if you, if, if you was to peel that back a little bit, and that was, you know, just some, like some American owner just strolled into town, and started doing that, you'd be like, "What the hell are you doing?" You, you'd you'd second guess it, and it never got it never really got second guessed until it was too late. And I think there are there'll be a lot of Derby fans that will go, "Thanks for the memories over the last six years," because it, it's been a roller coaster, you know, mm-hmm. a playoff final, two playoff finals, three semi-finals. You know, it's been great, but you've you've almost took the club backwards, and that's. And that's not great. And like you said, the other bit there, the, the Hollywood fanfare of Derby County. It's always got to be somebody's Derby County. Mm-hmm. We're nobody's Derby County. We are Derby County. Rooney, Terry, Lampard, whoever you want, it doesn't matter. He's, and it's all about financial. He's, all, he's, all, he's done it for commercial revenue. Mm-hmm. It's, all it's all he's ever done it for. Um, which, is, which is fine. But I, me personally as a fan, don't particularly like it. Don't like the way that he's he's, mm-hmm. he's tried to do what he's done with the club. Um, for me, and I'm hoping, don't know if it's going to happen. The new the new owner that's coming in from you know um, from the UAE from wherever from Dubai or wherever he's from. What's he going to know about it? What's he going to know about the championship? You know, I'm I'm not. I don't. It, it worries me. It does worry me that what what could we become? Um, I, don't get me wrong. There could be a positive could massively be a positive for the millions and what have you, you know, that he, he may well bring. But Derby over the last, I mean, I could go back to probably the late seventies from what I can remember. I mean, not, I wasn't, I wasn't alive in the late seventies, but as far back as I can kind of read, I've read into Derby, you know, who's owned Derby. They've all been local. They've all been local businessmen. They've all had, the, they've all had the passion of, and the club part bar, what, Two three years in the late in the early two thousands when we had some dicks from America take it over. You know, no offense, Corey, but they they hey, were. It wasn't me. I've been called no. that term many times, but it wasn't me this time. <laughs> and, and they didn't have the they didn't have the interest of the club at art at all. No, not one, not once. So I'm a bit worried in that sense. And like you know, just to bring it back there, you get you get somebody take over who. You know, he clearly is interested in Millwall. Otherwise, he wouldn't stick around, would he? Let's let's be honest. So, you know. The slippery slope with football owners, it, I think because especially championship clubs, they look at it and go, I could buy this club for cheap. On the off chance it gets to the Premier League, I could sell it for an absolute fortune, walk away and be rich. A lot of it is because obviously they've got this money to burn and it's in their pocket. I'm thinking, ah, oh, you know. But ultimately, if they get to the Premier League, the, the owners are like this. They're like, happy days, we've made it. And I think that's what it is. It's not as easy as just turning up and then putting the money into the club. It's it's a process. A lot of it is like you've got to you know, think to what the club's about and think to the process of it. At least that's what I feel anyway. But it's, it's a slippery slope because all these owners come in with all this money, all this like, you know, we're going to do this, this, this. Because they know that they'll get 
and then some returned if they get to the Premier League. I think that's what it is. Exactly think, what Mel Morris did want it, Corey. He, yeah, he brought, I think he brought Derby when Derby's stock was almost at its highest. Mm-hmm. They just lost to him. They just lost in the playoff final that they outplayed QPR in. And he he had about five hundred million. Well, he's he's valued at about five hundred million. He probably thought chuck fifty million at that team and and we walk it, mm-hmm. and it just didn't work. Yeah. And he had he had this stupid. Well, I say stupid. It was great at the time to hear it, but he had this five year plan to get Derby into the Champions League. Oh, and- he had even a better one. He had even a better one. He sacked Paul Clement when Derby were fifth. Who he saw he, he flew a private jet out to like Mallorca to go and pick him up in this giant like really weird social media video because he wanted to get Carlo Ancelotti's assistant. I'd won the Champions League. No, Carlo Ancelotti did. You held like the water bottles and the clipboard. And then they're fifth, and he sacks him for not playing the Derby way. And they go, well, what's the Derby way? And he's like, I don't know, but it's not that. <laughs> yeah, and, and then never three, been three, out, three out of the last five managers have played the exact same way as Paul Clement played. <laughs> but he's never <laughs> been able to, to define to the Derby effect. way. Yeah, it, it's really weird. So, you know, I mean, as I say, by the sounds of it, it's, it's, it's happening in the next week or so. Um, yeah. It'd be inter- I think there is talk of him staying on in an advisory role. He's got to be a consultant. He wants to be listed as a consultant now because he still owns the stadium. Mm. And so the, the idea is like, oh, if you don't like him, tough, because I own the stadium. <laughs> that sounds a mess. I'm not going to lie. That sounds a right mess. Yeah, that, that, it really that was is. a concern. As soon as he sold the stadium to himself, I just thought, Jesus, when he sells this club and the stadium <laughs> don't go with him, like you can end up like Coventry and you're going to be it, Coventry. around and like, where are you going to yeah. go in Derby to play? Like there's no other stadiums that – in, in Derbyshire where you could possibly mm-hmm. play and Forrest ain't going to share the ground with you. And I think for me, you know, yeah, it's for being a Derby fan, which it's a club that I love and I can go back, I can go back, you know, like Jason in the seventies and sixties and fifties and whatever, and, and read about it and a family that have memories and all this stuff and learned all this stuff about the club that I love. And it's cool. It's fun. It, it's fun. It's fun sometimes to be like, you're getting Wayne Rooney and you're getting this, like, it's fun. But then when you sit there in the cold light of day and you're like 18 months on from that, you're like, could you just please leave? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. please, you know, and, and people sit back and I think a lot of people have the perception of Millwall that Millwall's a bit boring. No disrespects, you know, they're, they're in the championship. It's Millwall. You know what to expect on a Tuesday night at the den, you know, the kits kind of always dark blue with white sleeves. Like mm-hmm. the impression is, and I'm not saying that I don't get the impression that Millwall is boring, or but I'm just saying people could, you could get the impression that people think that some of these clubs are boring. Right? They don't sign anybody who's like a sexy name or for big money or they don't get a big name manager. But at the end of the day, you guys are competitive and you're always a top half championship team. Always. And no one ever says, well, Millwall's going up this year. They're going to cakewalk the lead. But then when you play them, you're like, wow, that team could go up. They're so good. And I think what's eventually happened, and I think you're having this stability and all these other teams are trying this stuff and the cream slowly rising to the top here because every year, this year, the goal is to finish 10th. Next year is ninth. The next year is eighth. And it's like, it takes you 10 years, but eventually when you get up to the Premier League, you'll eventually be there to stay because it's like Brighton. Brighton were at the top of this division for what, four or five years and kept missing out on promotion and playoffs and everything. Finally got up and now they're a mid-table Premier League team and they don't look like they're coming down anytime soon because they've, mm-hmm. they've built slowly. And I think that's, the, that's one of the cool things about being like a Millwall fan is just you can see this slow build and everything like this. Whereas Derby fans, it's like up and down and up and down and up and down. You just don't know. It's like you just like a manic, you know, kind of like bipolar or manic depressive or something. Like you've got these extremely high highs where, oh, we're going to Wembley and you're doing the bounce and Lampard's doing the thing against Leeds. Like I don't think I've ever felt anything in football quite like that game. And I don't think I ever will again until Derby win League One. And then 18 months later, you're at the bottom of the championship and you're like, how did we get here? 
and you're doing an autopsy every every week to figure out how you did that. So I think in some respects, being a Derby fan is great. Don't get me wrong. I love I love being a Derby fan. It, it's part of who I am. I would, wouldn't change it for the world. But sometimes when you look at it from like, it's just, it's sometimes it's, it's, I don't know what I was trying to say there. It's fun, but I just wish there was a little bit more stability and it was less like big yeah. names. Let's try to go up. Like, let's just try to steadily build and not go bust. Let's do that. That is a huge perk for us. Like, you know, you mentioned Frank Lampard, like the stop crying Frank Lampard, even though I know that one, like that's a huge high for you, for you guys that night. And that's like, you know, I'm sure that is like a good memory for you. But like, it's, it's, I prefer, a lot of our fans, like at times we all play football manager, we all play FIFA and we're like, spend 7 million on him, spend 5 million on him. And it's like our highest ever transfer is one and a half million pounds ever. And like for us to be in a championship where we are and be consistently competing at this level, like it, there is a method to the madness in a sense. And a lot of people, I would love us to spend some money and go and throw something at it. Don't get me wrong and just take that little risk. But ultimately you don't know in a few years time, whether you're going to sink or ship, uh, sink or like, you know, fly really. So it's like, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it is that element of it, but that's why football is football. You take the risk and you try and go for it. And we compete with all these teams that have, you know, the parachute money from the Premier League and everything as such. But again, what I said to you since the start is we thrive on being the underdog. So it suits us. We just keep it like that. One and a half million is I used to ever spend. We've probably spent Ever. more than that on Wayne Rooney. <laughs> that, that's I'm just, trying to think of yeah. someone that we spent more than, okay, Akechi Anya. Yeah. Nick Blackman. Yeah, three million. Uh, Lord Davis, the, three million. Yeah. Yeah. Our record was one and a half million Brooklyn. until last year. And before that, it was 1988 on Paul Goddard for £800,000. So until last year, it was one. It was 800000 So shows you know and then steadily we're starting to spend a bit more on players so to be fair at the minute you know Millwall are the more consistent foot team out of the two of us over the last couple of years you know it's strange but anyway we can we can get lost in that conversation that brings us to the game on Saturday Omar how do you um how do you view the game how do you think it's going to go and give us a score prediction so obviously, we're playing tonight against Blackburn. So I don't know if that ruins how we say it on the, on the show. But we're playing Wednesday night against Blackburn. And I've, we've obviously drawn the last five. We're incredibly hard to beat. We're just looking for that spark. And I feel like it might come tonight for no absolute reason why, apart from just like we throw me in the underdog. So hopefully, if we perform tonight against Blackburn, who are, you know, leaky in defence but score loads of goals, if we get a bit of confidence, and especially with a couple of thousand fans in Saturday, Hopefully we can get performance that you know them two thousand fans get um, will deserve really. So I'm confident, but at the same time it's based on absolutely nothing. If I'm honest with you, <laughs> it's like I just know that you lot are down at the bottom, and I know that we're where we are. So I'll go for a two-one win. How about that, Corey? I think I'm also going to side with Omar here, and I think I'm going to go. I'm normally the optimistic one, but somehow, somehow the den just does not strike me as a fixture to that Derby's going to turn their form around. I think, you know, Jason, I think the, the, I think what we've seen in the last two games against Wickham and Coventry have been slight improvements, especially in the, in the attacking verb of the team and the way the team is starting to attack a little bit more and a little bit more inventiveness in the final third. And I think that's much needed, but I think you're coming up against a tough mill wall side. We know what mills walls like. Obviously we went to the den last year and we had great success or the club had great success with, you know, a hat trick from Louis Sibley the odds of that happening again are probably slim to none. I don't know. I, I hope, I hope it is a Louis Sibley hat trick and I'm sitting here eating my words. That's fine. But I just see a two, one Millwall win for some reason. I think the Derby will score um, because I think that their attacking play is starting to get better now in the final third, but Derby, this is the one thing we know about the team, Jason. I think, I think you know, this is that Derby's always going to give a team 
one or two opportunities. And I think Millwall had too much um, championship now, championship experience and championship know-how to, to take advantage of those opportunities. And I don't think they're going to let too, they're going to let some of the opportunities beg in because it's championship. That's what happens. Right. But I think they will take advantage. And I think Darby will give them enough, unfortunately, that they will get two goals. So I'm going to go with a two, one Millwall win. You've, you've, you've almost mirrored exactly what I was going to say. Derby eight playing at the Den. They they haven't really got a great record there, certainly over the last five or six years. With the added, you know, two thousand fans, that's that's going to be a big boost. You would you would hope um, for for Millwall. Derby are in dire straits at the minute. We've just played two promoted teams and struggled with struggled to get anything out of the games. In all fairness. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Okay, performances were okay against Wickham and Coventry, but Coventry last night was Coventry. They could have scored four goals, and I think at that point that you made there, Corey, you know, there are chances created in in the Championship, and you are going to miss some. The Championship now of Millwall, they they will score. There's no doubt about that. And just to add, Derby's defence isn't good enough uh, at the moment, as we well know. Uh, Derby, Derby needs something, we, we, but we've been saying this for nine weeks, um, that Derby need a result from somewhere. Uh, you know, our two best performances, sorry, our three best performances this year, arguably, have come on the road. We beat Norwich, we drew with Bournemouth, we drew with Forest, we should have beat them, should have won all three. But then we've played the likes of QPR, Barnsley, Wickham and Coventry at home, and we, we've struggled. So... Do you know what? I think Mill are actually going to absolutely shit houses. I think it's going to be about three. I think it's going to be three or four one. I, I just don't. I don't feel confident at the minute at all. And you know me, Corey. I'm. I'll say. I'll say when I think Derby are going to win, and I'll say when I think Derby are going to lose. I just. I just don't have no confidence in Derby at the moment. After after what I've seen over the last few weeks, we are bottom of this league for a reason, and that's not just because we come up against bad luck every game. Because it's not. It's because we're not good enough. We're just not good enough. Um, I'll, I'll go 3-1. We score I'll three. go 3-1 Millwall. If, if we score 3 on Saturday, I'll send you enough money to get a pint on PayPal because <laughs> I'd be over the moon with that, I'll tell you. That. It's, I just, I can't, I'm, I'm a blind hope optimist. My co-host always says to me, like, you would find hope in absolutely anything. And that's how I work with it. So I am caveating that for you guys. Like, you know, we're expected to beat you guys Saturday. We don't do well when we expect to beat teams. But I am hopeful that the fans coming back will pay kind of, you know, as that. Will you be there, Elmar? Uh, unfortunately not. So they're doing the ballot system. So I'm going to the Tuesday game against QPR. I'm gutted because the first game back, you know, I went to the last game against Forest away. And I was like, I couldn't wait to get back when I heard the news. But unfortunately, we've got 3,000 season holders and a 2,000 capacity. So... I'll go to next week's gone, so. At least you get in. Good luck to you. Enjoy That's your it. Yeah. Are you certainly going to get in before we are? Because we're stuck in tier three. So uh, there's none, none of that for us this side of Christmas by the looks of it. Hopefully, before. Jason, mm. we won't be stuck in tier three next season. No, that's true. It, it's, it's getting closer. It's certainly getting closer. But, um, Corey, any more from you before we wrap this one up? No, I just want to appreciate Omar for coming on and, and, and kind of having this cathartic experience as we kind of talk about <laughs> uh, Derby and the struggles of being a Derby supporter and just talking through it and whatever and helping us preview the game. I think it's a difficult time for, for obviously everybody with COVID. Don't get me wrong with that. But it's a difficult time for obviously Derby fans as well with, them, with the club being bottom of the league. And all I can say is just – you know, try to remain positive and realize, as I've been saying in most of these podcasts, and one day I will be proved right because one day 
the results will turn. Darby will not be bottom of the league forever. They might be top of league one. See, but bumpy roads do lead to beautiful places. And I think you've started to start to see, I don't think they're, they're Coventry and Wickham performances have been great by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there has been a marginal, like one or two or 3% improvement. And I think the attacking play is starting to get better, but I think there's still a lot of problems at Derby, um, both on and off the pitch as well. But Omar, I want to thank you for taking your time. I know it's a game day, game day for you. So joining us as part of your pre-match buildup. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Not a problem. Yeah. Thanks very much for joining us, Omar. It's been, uh, it's been a great, great to talk to you. And hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. No worries at all, mate. And that's all, Corey, as always. If there's one, if there's one thing where we'll always still be here to dissect it. Um, unfortunately, it's getting, it's getting less and less enjoyable. But um, you know, like as you say, things, things. There's only, there's only one way up. So, fingers crossed. Eventually, somewhere, we start to find something. Well, do you want to do something different, Jason? And I can say you can sign off the episode, and I can say the famous ending tagline. Maybe yeah. that'll change it up. Maybe that'll change the fortunes. I don't know. You can end the podcast. You can end the podcast. How I don't about know that? if I can take that pressure. Well, how, we, how do we end the podcast again? I can't remember. It's been, <laughs> we've, done <laughs> we, we, we've done enough of them. We have. We have. Oh, okay, I'm ending the podcast. Okay, fair enough. That's the end. Thank you. No, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, it's Jason and Jason and Corey here for uh, the Rams Read Podcast. Omar, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. And until next time, up the Rams. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Please remember to get in touch on the socials. On Twitter, we are at Rams Review one Our Facebook is Rams Review Podcast. Or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, thank you very much and up the Rams.